0: Left the room. <clears throat> all right. Let's talk, okay? So uh, I want to thank Wes for giving us that update. Um, there's nothing more terrifying in church than talking about money because we all have these visions, right, of of uh, how gross and unseemly that is, Um and, uh, and yet we all have a budget and, fam- and our families, and, and, and money makes the world go round, and it turns the lights on, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But somehow we're not supposed to talk about it. Um, so I just want to tell you, I just want to kind of by way of moving our way into a discussion about the church, just say this: um, we're, uh, and I said this a couple of weeks ago when I when I welcomed everybody. Uh, if you 're visiting with us we 're really glad to have you but it 's a little bit like you 've walked into the to the uh, evening meal for a family, especially this morning okay so we had a budget discussion over supper uh, we 're getting ready to eat again okay we 're going to have a meal here um, and i 'm going to ta- i 'm going to give you a sermon um, uh, and it may be long winded um, but if you 're visiting with us we 're really glad you 're here, but you you are kind of coming into a, a family discussion. You get to see a little bit of behind the curtains. And you, you don't even know all of the behind the scenes, right? Uh, for instance, there's something really neat that was going on again this morning in the family um, that is just really de- delightful. Um, and it, it happens over here, okay? So Amy and the choir, um, week after week after week, uh, leading us in worship is just wonderful. But Again, this morning, Lynn Folks was up here. Lynn, where are you? And she had her, she had her flute. Lynn, over the last six, eight months, has had both hands operated on. And so for her to be up here playing the flute again is like a little family success story. Um, and it's delightful. And I love, I love to hear the flute because that was the instrument that my mother made me learn on. Um, I learned music. And um, when I hear you play, all I hear is, Jesus had a little lamb, all right? Uh, or Mary had a little lamb, not Jesus, Mary. <laughs> Jesus was a little lamb. But I hear Mary had a little lamb because that's the only song that I got through, okay? Um, but that's a beautiful, just a little family side note, okay? Um, but welcome. Listen, if you're here, you're visiting, and, and you heard all of this discussion about money, please. Uh, that's family discussion, okay? You're here this morning. You're our guest. We welcome you that way. And uh, we don't want you to feel pressure or obligated to help us uh, turn the lights on. We want you to come and see who we are and what we're all about. And this morning, I want to talk about the church because we're making our way through the Apostles' Creed. And this morning, we're in a section on the creed where we say that we believe and the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Okay, um, that's where we're at this morning, and and just kind of remind you, we're using the Apostles' Creed because this creed has connected us down through the ages. Um, uh, it, it, the the kind of the final working document that we have comes from roughly 390. Um, and um, it, but it was it had been somewhat solidified even before that, and um, <clears throat> and so we uh, we are connected to the church historically through this creed, and we're, we're connected to believers all around the planet through this creed, and we're connected to one another through this creed um, as sort of the basic foundational elements of what it means to be a Christian. And so we say, I believe, and, and we've kind of made our way so far. We've, we've looked at who Jesus is, and now we're talking about the church and the Holy Spirit that Mary uncovered. covered. And, and so this morning we land at the Holy Catholic Church. And I, and I want to tell you, I don't want to don't dismiss any of the previous sermons on the Apostles' Creed, all right? I, and I don't want to, like, lessen how important they were when I say this. But I want you to hear that I think one of the most important aspects of the creed, and for us as Christians, is to understand what the church is. There is no more critical part of the Christian life than understanding the church of the Lord Jesus. And so I think... This section and this sermon this morning, I hope, will be uh, encouraging to you, maybe even a little enlightening to you, helpful for you, um, as as we kind of make our way through it. So, um, so let's jump in, and uh, and let's 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 talk about this section of the creed. Um, I want to tell you, I think. Um, the passage that Christopher read is one of those passages in the Bible where if you don't think about it often, if you haven't highlighted it, you should, because Jesus says this. He says, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, When I when I when I was younger and I heard that verse, I understood it to mean right somehow that the gates of the the gates of hell were advancing on the church or, or something like that. But but listen to the verse, the gates, so do gates move. Not normally. Right? Gates are fixed, and especially kind of in the ancient world, okay? So you would have had a walled city, and you would have had the gates of the city, and those gates would have been firmly established and firmly fixed. And so when Jesus says that the gates of hell, okay, will not prevail against the church he is building, think about that. Essentially, a better way to understand it is the gates of hell will not withstand the onslaught, the growth, the expansion of the church. That's the idea. Gates of hell, church. The church is the moving part. The church is the assaulting part. The church, in Jesus' way of speaking and talking and thinking at this point, the church is that entity which is on the move. I always had it flipped around in my head like somehow hell was pushing in on the church and the church had to, we just had to, you know, gut it out. But that's not the way Jesus says it. Jesus says, The gates of hell will not withstand the onslaught of the church. And here is the shocking kind of reality. Just think about this. This is the only institution that Jesus said, I will build. He didn't say he's going to build nothing else. No other institution. He didn't say, I'm gonna build the United States. He didn't say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build England. He didn't say, I'm gonna build, you know, IBM. He didn't say anything like that. He said, I will build my church. That's it. That is the one thing that Jesus cared enough about that he said, I'm gonna build it and it will, it will withstand and press against the gates of hell and be the thing that goes into eternity. You realize that? Think about that. Think about priorities in your life. Think about the things that you you give yourself to, you throw yourself into. Jesus said, my number one priority is building my church. Let's talk about what that means. Here's the first thing. The creed, we say in the creed, and it bears out in Scripture, the creed says that we believe in the holy Catholic Church. Let's talk about what does it mean for the church to be holy. How is the church holy? In the Bible, That idea of holy is used in at least two senses, okay? The first is that if if something is holy, it's set apart. The second is if something's holy, it's pure, it's undefiled, okay? So when we talk about the fact that God is holy, he's both of those. He's both set apart and he is undefiled. He is perfect in His splendor. We say He's perfect in holiness. Okay? And so the Bible, when it talks about that something is holy, it talks about it in those two senses at least. And there's, to some degree, it talks about it other ways. But those are the primary ways we think about something being holy. And those two senses in the Word bear out when we're talking about the church. All right? So the church is both set apart, okay, and it is holy. It's undefiled. It's spotless, blameless. It's pure. It's perfect. That one's going to challenge you. Because you know what the church is, right? Yeah. It's you and me, okay? and if you know me, you know it's not spotless or blameless. And if you know yourself, you know it's not spotless or blameless. So how, what is the sense? We'll talk about that. So let's think about first the fact that we are set apart in the sense of we're holy, okay, uh, in, in that way. Um, we are called out. That's so... The very word ekklesia, okay, that's the Greek word. Uh, so there's two words to describe uh, the people of God in Scripture. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's "call," and the New Testament, it's ecclesia. So those are your two words. They both have the same meaning, and the idea is that, that, that we are called out of, okay? And so the church is called out of the world, both in the Old Testament and in the New, okay? The church is not, it's not necessarily a New Testament idea. It's an Old Testament idea that comes to fruition in the New Testament. And so, God's people have always been people who are called out of the world. We're set aside for a special purpose that God has for us, okay? And you can see that if you look back at your first Peter verse, okay? In your first Peter verse uh, that, um, uh, that Marion read for us, chapter 2, listen to the way that he describes us in verses 9 and 10. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And he says this, and this is the essence of the church. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. That's a quote from Hosea, all right? And that is the idea. Once you were just everybody else. But now you're an established group of people. Peter says it in a few verses prior to that, he says, you are like living stones being built together that you would be the dwelling place of God. Okay? And we're set apart for the purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of God. That's the reason that he's pulled us out of the world. He's pulled us out of the world so that we would reflect His glory to the world, and proclaim Him to the world. We're going to talk more about exactly how do we do that in just a couple of minutes. But that's the idea of being set aside for the purposes of God. Um, and you can think of a number of ways in which right things are set aside. You may have utensils that as you're cooking, right, that utensil is going to now only be for turning the meat, uh, flipping the meat once it's in the frying pan or something along those lines. The church has a very specific purpose for which God called us out of the world and set us aside, and that is to proclaim the excellencies of God. Now let's talk about the second part. The second part is that we're holy in the sense of we are holy and undefiled people. Peter just said, in 1 Peter 2, 9, we are a holy nation. How are we holy? I want to take you to another passage, and it's, uh, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. Revelation chapter 5, 9 through 10. Listen, listen to these verses. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God for every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The church is holy because you and I individually are holy. In in the Reformation, Luther came along and he he developed a Latin phrase. And it was simultaneously saint and sinner. The Latin is simul iostos et peccator. Simultaneously, we are both saints and sinners. So in that state of being justified before God, okay, the state in which we confess and profess Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives, and we acknowledge who He is and what He's done for us, and we say, I bow the knee to King Jesus. When that happens, the Bible says you are justified in the courts of God above. That means in sort of a a law-like way, He takes His gavel and He bangs it in the courtroom And he says, You are not guilty. It's a declaration. You are now not guilty. At the same time, that declaration is made, and God sees us as righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. You and I are living out our position in life. So God's declared us not guilty. And we're living life out, not perfect, but now as sinners who have been declared saints. Does that make sense? That's the weird kind of reality of who we are in Scripture, who we are in Christ, and who we are kind of walking day to day. And what we want to see is that our lives more and more and more reflect the reality of the declaration. That's what we call The process of sanctification. We're being sanctified. So think about it. If you and I are in that place positionally before God, then collectively we're in that place positionally before God. Because of the work that Christ has done for His church, He bought us, He purchased us, He ransomed us, with his blood, he has purified us. He's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And he's made us perfect before the Father. And that's why the creed says we're holy. We believe in the holy Catholic Church. Now, when, when your friend asks you, how can you say that the church is holy? You can say, well, positionally we're holy. But we're still living that out in reality. All right. It's the truth. It's the reality. It's the reality of your life. It's why it's why you feel like there's inconsistencies in your life, because there are inconsistencies in your life. God's declared you holy in his sight. And you still struggle with sin. All right. It's the struggle of of Romans chapter seven, where the Apostle Paul says, the things I want to do, those I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, those I keep on doing. And he says, Who will rescue me from this body of death, O wretched man that I am? Thanks be to God. And then Romans 8, 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Still struggle? You're still battling the old flesh? But you've been declared holy in God's sight. That's how the church is holy. We're set aside to proclaim the excellencies of God. And we're holy in the sense that we've been declared righteous in the sight of God because of what Jesus has done for us. All right. Second, the creed says that the church is Catholic. Little c. All right. Um, And when we say that, there's usually a footnote somewhere. I don't know if we put footnotes in the bulletin, but the idea of Catholicity, Catholic means we, it, it, it's universal, alright? So the church is a universal body of believers. And, and, and we, I just read for you Revelation chapter 5, 9, and 10. Listen to the way it said, right? You were slain. Jesus was slain, and by his blood, he ransomed people for God. People from every tribe and language and people and nation. And he took all of these people, and he made them a kingdom of priests. He took all of these people, and he made them into a nation. He took all of these people from around the globe, and he made them one body, Paul says. That's the way body, uh, Paul talks about us. We're the body of Christ. All right. And so people that are professing Christ, we're part of the same body. Some of us may speak in tongues. Some of us may uh, um, worship in different ways. Right? Where there's billions of people on the planet. We worship in different ways. But as you come through the Lord Jesus to worship the the true and living God, you are a part of the universal Catholic Church. We're not talking about Roman Catholicism. We're talking about Catholicity in the universal sense. And you and I are a part of that. And so uh, um, one of the things that we're also confessing is we're not just a part of the church right now that's active around the world, we're a part of the church, a part of believers who have lived down through the ages, right? And so the, the the universal or the Catholic church is that church, which is the true church that has existed and is existing and will exist through time. We are all a part of that church. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than, hold on. It's going to shock you. It's bigger than the Presbyterian church in America. It is. Can I get an amen? It is. It's bigger than us. It's, it's larger than us. It's, it's, it's uncontainable. It is. It's, it's massive. Paul says in Ephesians 4.4, 4, There is one body. And one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul saying, look, there's only one body. So, time to time, you're going to hear, you'll hear, Marion, and you'll hear me and we're praying for our sister churches I want you to hear it from from us from me we're not in competition with the church down the road this is not a competition this is one faith one hope one body one Lord all right and as we profess the same Christ we are joined together in proclaiming the excellencies of God you just happen to, to come and worship here. All right? You just happen to be a part of this body. Don't despise that body. As they proclaim the Lord Jesus, love them and pray for them and encourage them and fellowship with them. All right? So we're not in competition. It's not us versus them. It's not the Presbyterians against the Baptists. All right? We're right. We know that. But it's not... <laughs> It's a joke <laughs> but we 're not at war against other churches we 're at war against the gates of hell. All right, are you with me? okay? Do I love my my short thirty year Presbyterian heritage? Yes, okay? Do I believe what I preach and teach? Yes, is some of it secondary? Yes. What matters is. We've been boiling it down in a series of sermons, okay? And so, and some of you are here. Some of you aren't Presbyterians. You're here because you love the worship, you love the fellowship, you love the preaching. That's why you're here. All right. We're just, but I hope you hear what I'm saying. We're we're on the same team. We have the same Lord. We're pressing on the same gates. And we need to be, we need to think about it that way. There's too, too much schismatic tendencies going on amongst us. And, and it's not at all healthy. And it doesn't give the world a really good picture of the love of Christ, just to be honest. And, and, and it's not going to be that way in heaven. It's not. Everybody who's trusted Christ is going to be gathered around the same throne the same lame, and we will all be a part of the great nation that Christ has called us to be a part of. All right. I am, I don't even know where I'm at. <clears throat> so let's talk about this. Um, what are what are some implications of of that fact? What are some implications that we're all joined together. Well, um, we uh, we go and we proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us. We talked about that, and um, and the way that we do that is we do it through word and deed. We do it in Word. We hold fast to the Word. We preach the Word. We sing about the ancient Word that gives life just a few minutes ago. So we we talk about it. We proclaim it. We do all of that. And then in our deeds, what do we do? Well, what did Jesus tell us to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself, right? So we love the Word and we love in deed. And we do both of those, okay? Don't. Don't get off on this thing where, you know, uh, uh you 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 know words aren't needed. God gave us the word. He spoke in the word. Jesus is the logos. He is the word incarnate. Hey, for whatever reason, Jesus deemed that language is necessary part of gospel proclamation. But we 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 love our our neighbors. Who is our neighbor? Jesus answered that question and he gave us the story of the Good Samaritan. You're familiar with that, but let me just give you the, the Cliff's notes. We proclaim, we proclaim the whole counsel of God by doing life differently from the world. That's the essence of the Good Samaritan, right? The world says trample your enemies. Jesus says bandage your enemies. World says. Walk around your enemy. Jesus says, Give to your enemy until it hurts. Your pocketbook. The world says, When someone's a jerk to you, Tell everybody about it and be a bigger jerk to them. Right? That's the the way the world says do it. The world says, Store up more treasure on earth. Jesus says, Store up more treasure in heaven. God's word says, Christian, you must live differently. I've called you out of the world. I've made you a people in order that you would live differently from the rest of the world. And a lot of that has to do with how we do life together, right? How we do life together. Here's the challenge. The church... And being a part of the church is not optional for the Christian. It's not optional. And when I say being a part of the church, I, this is the challenge but This is the hard part pastorally. Okay? If you come, if, if the only part of your Christian experience with the church is worship on Sunday morning, you're missing it. This is a big part of what we do. It's only a part of what we do. And and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to read you some of the 50 plus one another's in Scripture. Okay? Here are the ones that deal with unity. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Wait for one another before beginning the Eucharist. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tender hearted, forgiving to one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Seek good for one another. Don't repay evil with one another. Don't complain against one another. Confess your sins to one another. Here are some of the ones that deal with love. Love one another eight times. Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another in love. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Be devoted to one another in love. Humility with one another. Give preference to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Serve one another. Wash another's feet. Don't be haughty, but be of the same mind with one another. Be subject to one another. Clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. Don't judge one another. Bear another's burdens. Speak truth to another. Don't lie to one another. Comfort one another encourage and build one another up, stimulate one another to love and good deeds, pray for one another, and finally, be hospitable to one another. Let me ask you a question. Is it reasonable to expect you can do any of those? If you walk in the door at 1029 and leave at noon, Reasonable? No. You're not gonna be able to do any of this. You, you may be able to tolerate me, but you're not gonna be able to love one another. You're not gonna share your burdens with one another. You're you're not walking with one another. You're coming and listening to me preach. Right? You're walking in and walking out. And 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 the Bible has a picture of the unity of the church that outstrips all of that. Is our gathering and worship important? Absolutely. Are you investing? And look, it's not this church. If you go to the Methodist church and you show up and you're there for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes, you're not doing it there either. And And I'm just being honest with you. You're not investing in the life of the church. The church is deep. In order for all of those things to happen, you have to You have to be connected somewhere, and so that's why we beat the drum and we talk about Sunday school and we talk about home fellowship groups and we talk about Bible studies and we talk about sheds of hope. And we, I mean, look, you know, how are you going to encourage the guy that hits the hits the hits his thumb with a hammer if you're not out here building a shed with Dick and his his motley crew, right? How, how, how are you going to do those things if you aren't investing in the life of the church? It, it's just a given. Paul just, he just understood it. And look, I get it. It was easier. There was only one church. You had one little group of people and you went and you did with those people because there was nobody else in town doing what they were doing. And so you all did everything together. You know, you ate together, you, you went to the fields together, you sat at the temple courts together, you did all of that stuff. I get it, we're, we're scattered, we're atomized, but we're, we're trying to provide ways for you to do some of that life together. 'Cause that's where the rubber meets the road. That's how you encourage one another. That's how you spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's how you encourage your brother or sister who's down in their faith. Okay? That's how you're encouraged when you're with somebody and they're up in their walk. That's how you pray for somebody. Listen, I, I've seen people I've seen people enter into hardship. And they have nobody. They don't have a church. They don't have a home. They don't have a community that they belong to. And they're going through. Ooh, and it hurts. I see it all the time in the military. It's just tragic. And, and, and you know, you would think a military unit. But they can only do so much. We bear one another's burdens in the church. It's a part of who we are. It's in the DNA. And you're missing it. I'm just going to be honest, you're missing it. You're missing the blessing, the blessing of giving and serving, and you're also missing the blessing of receiving from brothers and sisters who are like-minded. And so is it somewhat artificial that we do church at LOPC and you drive them all over and we come here? Yeah, it's a little bit artificial. It's just it's it's life in the church in the twenty first century. It is what it is, but you've got to be invested in the body, the church, wherever that is. let me encourage you to be invested. And here's the last thing. And and it it really goes along with this. And it is, we believe in the communion of the saints. We believe in the communion of the saints. Two senses. Communion of the saints. And I would just tell you, this is one of the latest later additions to the creed. But it's, I think, an important addition. So two senses, communion, fellowship, right? That's, that, that was certainly in the minds of the, of the apostles and the authors who, who got to this point in the creed, okay? There's a communion aspect to us being together. But there's a second, and that is communion. I believe in the communion of the fellowship of the saints around the table, okay, and this, for the early church, is a little bit bigger deal. It just was. They, this, they celebrated it differently in a fuller manner than we do now. Right? Now you get a little pinch of bread and you get a little bit of juice and you drink it. In the ancient church, okay, in Paul's day, First Corinthians chapter, chapter 11, they did it together. They did a meal. They all came together and they had a big meal. And in First and in Corinthians 11, there's a problem. And Paul is addressing the problem. And here was the problem. There were people who had great wealth, and they came to the meal, and they came expecting to be fed. All right? And they came, and they left other people out, and they came early, and they ate before everybody got there. And they wined, and they dined, and they drank the fine wine, and they got drunk at the table and they were leaving other people out people who were less fortunate and less well off than they were okay and and so paul says look discern the body and when he says that he's not talking about discern this he's talking about discern your relationships in the body what are they is there a problem in the body okay and because what he's highlighting is there were divisions in that church. and the Corinthian church, there were issues, there were problems in the church that revolved around the supper, all right? But they were deeper than the supper. There were issues about how they felt about each other and how they treated one another. And Paul says, don't come to the table with those kind of divisions. Because the table is about the unity of the body of Christ. And when you come, and you come to the table, and you act like there's unity, but there's not unity, and there's disunity, and there's disharmony in your heart with people that are in the body, you're defiling the body. Because the body is unity. The supper proclaims the unity of the body. Does that make sense? It proclaims your unity to the Lord Jesus, and also proclaims your unity to one another. And Paul says your unity to one another is the picture for the world that proclaims the excellencies of God. So what happens with you and me matters. It's why when I hear pastorally, when I hear that there are issues, it's hard to do. But I run to those when there are divisions, when there's, when there's divisiveness going on in the body, I run to that. Sometimes I run around the block a couple times before I get there. But I run to that because that destroys what we have that is so beautiful to the world that the world doesn't know. The world does not know the unity that you and I can have. That's what Paul says in in Ephesians when he says, right, that Jesus has come and he's broken down the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Listen, if he can do it between Jew and Gentile, he can do it between you and me. Those divisions were ten times deeper than any divisions you and I have. So go to your brother. Go to your sister. Work it out between them. Talk to them. Talk. Listen. Forgive. Forgive. Bear with one another. Because when you do that, you are proclaiming the excellencies of the God who called you out of light into darkness. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for uh, the message that Scripture gives to us about your church, your people that you've called. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We ask now that you'll be with us in our time and the supper. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're coming to the supper.